Well, we are in uh, week three of our walk through the book of Job with this idea, or, or at least through the lens of, of what does it look like if our faith is built or founded upon kind of our situation or circumstances. And so the house of cards, where that comes into play, is, is if your faith, if, if your faith in God, if your relationship with God, if it's, if it's sitting upon the blessings that you have in your life, it's only a matter of time before that house of cards comes crumbling down. It's only a matter of time before your situations change, and if, if you have a circumstantial or situational faith, uh, then, then oftentimes, like, good life means good God, which is awesome, but when life gets bad, then your view of God is negatively impacted. And as we walk through the book of Job, we, we see here a prime example of a guy who didn't deserve what he got. Text said that he was blameless and upright, yet his life, in a matter of just moments, was completely flipped upside down. And so, so we're, we, we walk through this book as he's trying to navigate these waters. He lost his, his health his wealth, his kids, like everything that was important to him in just a matter of moments was taken away. And we're going to pick up here in chapter 3 of the book of Job, and, and he's going to speak for the first time. Now again, th this, is, this is a guy who has lost everything. He lost all of his livestock, servants. He lost his kids. And to make matters worse, Scripture says that he was covered with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Things were tough. And so this is, this is how Job processes this. And he's, he's a, presumably with his wife and three of his friends, and he, he just lets it all out. Chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish. In the night that said a boy was conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered into any of the months. May that night be barren. May no joy or no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb. Skip down to verse 23. He, he finishes this breath. He says this, Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest but only turmoil. So here Job, again, he just, just lets it out. I can't blame the guy. Like, he has lost more than anyone should ever have to lose in a, 10 lifetimes. 
And it's interesting here, the, the, the shift in, in kind of his thought process and, and how he's communicating, because if you remember, after the first kind of tragedies occurred in chapter 1, the text says that Job actually just worships God. And, and he says in chapter 2, how can I worship God in the good but not in the bad? But here in chapter 3, something has drastically changed. This is a picture of a man who is broken, who is hurting, who is afraid, who is angry, who is confused. And he looks at his life and what it has become, and he, he questions God and says, God, if this is how it was going to be, if you knew it was going to be this way, why did you let me be born? Like He, he, he wishes his white life never existed. He asked the question that, that, that many of us have asked in times of suffering and moments of uncertainty. He's like, God, why me? Why me? So, so we, we read chapter 3. I read chapter 3. And it presents a question that I think we as the church in 2023 need to be equipped to answer or at least prepared to have a conversation about. It's, it's what, as followers of Jesus, should our response be to suffering? What, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, like, like how should you and I respond to suffering? So, so I read through Job chapter 3 this week. I, I knew that was a question that needed to be answered, and then I just stared at a black screen with a blinking cursor for hours. More than I have in years and it's not that I didn't know what I wanted to say or, or what maybe even I should say. I found myself in a position where I, I just, if I'm being completely honest and vulnerable, felt very ill-equipped to even address. So, so I, have, I have no problem standing up here and teaching and preaching about redemption because, ladies and gentlemen, I have been redeemed. I have no issues talking about forgiveness because I know the forgiveness of a Savior. I can talk for days about the love of Christ because I, I intimately know the love of Christ. But, but when I'm, I'm tasked with preaching about suffering, I, I realize that, that compared to maybe some other lives, my life has been blessed. There's always someone who has suffered more than you. And so I began to, 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 to picture faces in this room, because I, I know you, I know your stories, I know some of the things that you've been going through, and I, I find myself asking, like, who am I to tell them how they should respond to suffering? It's a very interesting place to be. And so, so what I'm going to ask that, that you do today, one, is potentially afford me some grace. I, I am not going to attempt to empathize or, or state that I know what you're going through or what you have gone through because I don't. No one does. It's between you and the Lord. But I do think that, that God's word gives us some tools on how we can process this, whether we find ourselves in the midst of suffering or, or heaven forbid, it happens down the road. There are some things, there are some tools that, that God gives us, and while I might not be able to empathize with your suffering, I certainly can submit myself to the Word of God, and I'm going to have to trust that if it's in here, if this is what God chose to disclose as it pertains to suffering and processing it, then it's truth, and it probably works. 
And so, so I, I began to kind of make myself a, a, a checklist on, on how, to, how to process through suffering. So, so how should followers of Jesus respond to suffering? So the moment I asked that question, the first verse that came to my mind was James 1-2, like popped up instantaneously. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kinds. Consider it pure joy when you are suffering. And I was like, well, that just doesn't make sense. Right? Like, I, I, I have never, never been to a funeral when someone is grieving the loss of a loved one where the person said, man, this is, the, this is a joyous occasion. I've never had a conversation with someone who has had tragedy in their life, disease, accident, uns- whatever it is, right, who said, man, I am so happy about this. And so there's tension here in the text at least initially. Like I read through, okay, like, like Job is, like this is not a man who, who is joyful right now. Yet New Testament authors tell us that, that we should consider it pure joy. So, so, so what am I missing here? So I'm gonna skip to the end and I'm gonna kind of work my way backward, which is a little bit unusual. James continues in his text and I, I believe he sheds some light on, on, on how we process passages like this behind the lens of suffering. He, he says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing that of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Paul wrote something similar. He said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, Some translations say rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so so, so what these authors are saying, if we're connecting the dots between Job chapter three and considering it pure joy when we face trouble, when we face suffering, is that there is something that happens in our suffering, in tragedy, in the uncertainty that refines our faith. Like that's what the authors are saying. Like if you allow it, if you walk through whatever this world throws at you, it will refine you. Suffering opens the door for refinement. It removes the impurities. It it hardens your faith. Now, again, I, I, I understand that. I submit to it. But, and this is where we typically land as a church, but, but what we don't talk about enough and where we're going to be today is if tragedy is point A— and refinement is point Z, then how in the world do I navigate B through Y? Because that's where I think Job finds himself here in the text. He hasn't yet gotten to a place of refinement. He hasn't yet allowed it to sharpen his faith. He's, he's in a mourning, grieving, uncertain, angry, fearful process. And so how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, once we have stepped into a tragic situation, once death has been realized, which pain is a reality, when you are suffering, a season of suffering, how do we take that moment and endure and survive and persevere to get to a place where we are spiritually refined? I think that's the key to this. 
And that's, that's where maybe I, as a pastor, have, have fallen short as we've had conversations. I've, I, counseling people, having conversations with people who are suffering, and, and we go to these verses, these, these, hey, listen, it's a spiritual refinement, but we forget that there is a process to get there. So what do we do? How do we open the door to refinement? How do we as followers of Christ respond to suffering? So, so I, have, I have a checklist. It's, it's three points, and, and, and here's the deal. I, as I was looking at my screen, like I know what the Word of God says, but real life experience, like, like, like how, do I, how do we do this? So I had a conversation with, with a, a dear friend of mine, someone that I trust more than most people in this world who, who has experienced their share of tragedy and pain. And I, I went to this person and I said, Here, here's the message. I understand this is where we're supposed to get, but, but what are the steps or what have you seen in your life and your experience that has taken you from point A to point Z? And she, she walked me through a, a list better than, than probably most people could. And so as I took what she said and I, I bumped it up against the word of God, I have, okay, Aaron, in case of emergency, when suffering happens, because the reality is, is that, that life on this side of eternity, like, we're gonna have suffering. I need you to know that. Like, like unless, unless Jesus, like, returns right now, we're gonna have suffering. It's inevitable. And so when that happens, we have this like emergency case where we break the glass, we pull out the plans, like this is going to be my, hopefully, roadmap to, to process and persevere. So, so what do we do? What, what am I going to do? I think the, the first step, the advice I was given, was be authentic. Be authentic. What does that mean? It means that you're honest with yourself and you're honest with others. If you are not okay, then admit that you are not okay. And this is so challenging for us, especially as Westerners. Like, like, we, like we cowboy up, right? You, you pull up your boots and you, you move on. You don't talk about it. You don't think about it. You get over it. But the reality is, is that any hope we have in enduring tragedy and ending up at refinement is that you and I have to be authentic with ourselves, with the people around us, with our family, with our friends, with your church family. We say it's okay to not be okay, not because it's a really cool catch line, but because that's genuinely how we feel church is supposed to operate. You have to be willing to admit that you are grieving, that you are suffering. And again, sometimes we look at everything that's happening in our life and we think, like I did this week, well, my suffering doesn't compare to their suffering, so I'm just not gonna worry about it and I'm gonna put it aside, and that's not what we're supposed to do. You're to be authentic. And authentic, authenticity isn't just with the people around you, it's with your, your creator as well. And this is where it gets really challenging. Like you read through the book of Job here in Job chapter 3 specifically, and he is laying it all out there. Later on in the text, he's, he's going to have some really honest dialogue with God, and I think that's how we're supposed to be as children of God. I think there's a way to do it without being sinful, where we can say, you know what, God, I don't understand what you are doing I don't like the situation that I find myself in. God, I really, really did not want to bury this loved one, and I'm not happy about it. We're authentic, authentic with our God.
what the church needs more than most things, I think, today is, is men and women who are more authentic sufferers. So what happens when you come in here and you appear to have it all together when you don't really have it all together is you create a false reality for those around you. So then people, when they go through suffering, they look around at each and every one of us and they say, well, man, I'm going through this, but like Aaron has his life all together. He clearly has things figured out, so I can't possibly divulge or disclose what I'm going through because like they'll, they'll never understand it. Well, the reality is, is, is I probably went through the same thing two weeks ago. I was just too proud, too stubborn, and too stupid to admit it. Or even worse, someone steps into a season of suffering and, and they look at us, they look at you, they look at me, who has the appearance of having their life together, when in reality I don't, and they say, well, well look at how they live their life, look at what's happened in mine, clearly my faith is not as strong as theirs. And that's where situations of anger and frustration come into play, where people walk away from the faith. Say what you want to about Job here in chapter 3, but man, that guy is authentic. I don't agree with what he says. Now, I have the luxury of knowing how the story ends. He doesn't at this point. But he was authentic. And kind of the next step with that, if you're willing to be authentic and... and Listen, I get this is kind of a touchy-feely sermon. Um, it's a vulnerability here, but, but, but you have to be willing, if you're authentic, to feel the things that you are feeling. So if, so if one is authentic, authenticity and two or one A then is, is feel the feels. Like, like, like process what you are going through. Allow yourself to be angry. Allow yourself to be hurt. Allow yourself to be frustrated. Allow yourself, and, and men, I know you don't want to admit this, allow yourself to cry when you need to. Now, I get it. Like, we don't want to, like, we don't do, want to do our laundry in the street, right? Like, like there's some privacy, and I, I get that there's a time and a place, but you and I have to be willing to feel the things that we are feeling. We, we see it in the New Testament over and over and over again. Paul wrote that he had a thorn in his side and he pleaded with Jesus to take it away. He pleaded with him. He was in agony over it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't pretend like it didn't exist. He just felt it. Now, at the end of the day, again, he was refined and he said that Jesus told him that his grace was sufficient for him and everything was good, but there was a process to get there and he wasn't gonna be able to get there unless he felt the things that he was feeling. You want another example of feeling this stuff? Look at Jesus hours, moments before he was arrested. He's in the garden. What is he doing? He's praying. The text says that he prays so hard that his sweat turns to blood. He was praying so fervently and so passionately and so emotionally that capillaries burst in his face and teared, or the, the sweat drops became like blood. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an emotional response. As he hung on the cross... He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If that isn't authenticity and emotion, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what is. Now, if you, if you could 
do those things, if we're authentic, if we're emotional, if, if we feel the feelings that we have, the hope is that you get to a place of, of reverent worship. Like any chance you have in surviving this is submitting yourself to a position of worship. One of my most favorite verses, uh, it's, it's out of the message, it's a paraphrase of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When he was going through the, the Beatitudes, uh, it's paraphrased, it's, it's blessed are those who are the, at the end of their rope. Because when you're at the end of your rope, there's less of you and more of God's rule in your life. And so, so, so the refining process a lot of times for us is, is the reality that, that we're going to have to hit a bottom at some point. We're going to have to get to a place where, where things just can't get any worse. You can't get any more broken. You can't get any more empty. Again, a very much a Job chapter 3. And when you are at that place, the refining starts when you submit yourself to a posture of worship. So what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives? So, so visually, like for, for me, Gray, if you want to you come up here for a second. A, a posture of, of worship is one where, where the only thing, the only thing that you can do is, is throw up your hands and just, and just cry out to Jesus. So, so just, can you just put your hands up for me? So, so this is where we find ourselves. If we are authentic and if we are emotional, we, we process it, we get ourselves to a posture of worship. But, but, but inevitably, what's going to happen to Grayston over time? Man, his arms are gonna get tired. He's gonna get weak. He's going to get to a place where he's worshipped all that he can worship, and his cup is empty, and he doesn't know how he can worship any further. And so, so when that happens, you know what we do next? And, and this might be the most important step in all of this, is we lean into each other's faith. Sometimes I'm not going to have enough faith to persevere and endure the thing that I'm going through. But by the grace of God, you do, and you're going to help me through it. Moses was going into, um, into battle. And Exodus 17 says this, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of your men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with my staff, or the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites and ordered, uh, as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses, Moses held his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So, so you're, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, because when you're at the end of your rope, there's more of God and less of your rule in your life. It's less me, more God. This is the posture we find ourselves in. And when you find yourselves in this posture, you have a chance at beating and defeating the enemy. Like Job was betting, or Satan was betting that Job would eventually throw down his hands in defeat. 
But, but as, again, in the book of Exodus, as long as his hand was up, the enemy was being defeated. But what happens when he gets tired? What happens when you're suffering to the extent where you can't go on anymore? Well, the text says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset so that Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Eddie, can you come here for a second, please? Luke, can you come here? So, so what happens, because I, I would imagine your arms are probably pretty heavy right now. Are you hurting? <laughs> Eddie, come here. Get on the other side of your brother here and just hold up that arm. Can you come here and, and, and hold up that one? See, when we, when we lean into the faith of others, this is, this is what it looks like, right? Grayson's arms were about ready to collapse. They were heavy. They were weighing down on him. But, but, but if we as brothers and sisters in Christ are willing to step alongside those who are suffering and say, you know what? You might not have faith today to overcome this, but I do. Let me help you out with it. And then it becomes a chain reaction because eventually your arm's gonna get tired, and by the grace of God, someone's going to come alongside you and hold your arm, and then so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. That's what this is supposed to look like. You and I were never meant to do this alone. You can put your arms down. You guys can sit down. You and I were never supposed to do this alone. We were never supposed to suffer in silence. We were never supposed to suffer in solitude. There are things that, that are appropriate in silence and solitude. This is not one of them. We were supposed to do this together. There, there is a refining process that happens through suffering. I researched um, what it looks like to, to refine gold this, this week. wasn't familiar with it, but, but, and it was very scientific, the article I read, but, but my understanding is that it involves lots of heat. Refining process is a, is a, a thing that happens that, that is going to be hot, it is going to be painful, it is going to be difficult. But the only way to remove the impurities out of the, the, the ore that will eventually become a precious metal, it, it becomes through heat and pressure and working. That, that's what, whether Job realizes it here or not, that, that's what's going to happen in the book. Job's going to come out of this with a greater understanding of who God is how he rules, his sovereignty, and I, I believe his faith is going to be stronger because of it. I believe, church, if you allow it to, he will do the same in your life. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be fun. Suffering by its definition is never easy or fun. But if, if you're willing to be authentic with it, if you're willing to step into it, if you're, if you're willing to, to, to emotionally accept and process, if you're willing to, to put yourself in a posture of worship, and, and if by the grace of God you have a community of people around you that can stand beside you and hold your arms up, God's word is clear. You will find yourself in a place where you can say, you know what? That stunk. But I get it. And I consider it pure joy that I walked through that.
That's the hope. So I'm gonna have the, I'm gonna have the worship team come forward here, and you guys can go ahead and come on up. We're gonna, we're gonna sing our, um, our anthem for this series, the, the Highlands, and so that we, we worship God in the, the Highlands and in the shadows. Maybe today there's someone here that, that you're suffering, you're dealing, you're, you're, you're frustrated, you're confused, you're angry. I, I want to open up the opportunity for you to, to have someone hold your arm up for you today. And so as they play, I'm, I'm going to be over here. I'll have Pastor Sam over here. Um, and and if, if you want to come up and pray, talk, process, the two of us would be more than willing to, to walk through that with you. Or maybe uh, you, you, you need to reconcile it with God. Maybe you haven't quite gotten to the place where you can get to a posture of worship. And so, so we're going to make these stairs kind of an altar this morning. Or if you want to come up and pray, in very much the same way, you might show up here alone, but I promise you, you won't be up here alone for long. Someone will come and pray over you. Whatever you do, whatever it is that you're, you're working through reconciling, um, don't walk out of here today without having that conversation, that dialogue with God. Let's see what he does through it, okay? Let's stand and sing one more time.